also follow us on the platform, anchor.fm. Also, we have a podcast, Daring Dialogues. Uh, We have a podcast, Daring Dialogues, which is on anchor.fm. It's also on Google Play. It's also on Spotify. So check your volume, check your sound, make sure that you can hear me um, before I go any further. So if you can hear me, you can put some hearts on the screen and I'll know that you are here. Again, those of you coming in, I want to welcome you to Daring Dialogues, our Black Table Talk session, which is held on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So tonight, again, we're going to be sharing in the book technology. I think probably one of the most important subjects um, facing Black people, facing African Americans right now, is technology. Dr. Claude Anderson put it this way. He said, uh, Black people either need to get in front of technology and stay there, because if we don't, um, if we don't get in front of technology and we stay behind it, it could eventually run us over talked about the fact that um, that usually when this American society continues to shift and change when it comes to technology, that it has often not been at uh, the benefit of black people, and that black people are oftentimes left in the dust when it comes to technology. Either our jobs are taken because of you know whatever new technology that arrives, it um, you know lessens the labor force. So I agree with Dr. Claude Anderson in terms of that, you know, that we do need to stay on top of um, technological advances and that we don't always need to be catching up. Uh, one of one prime example is uh, the new app that has come out on Apple, right? That, um, that app called Clubhouse. And people are complaining about how, hey, this is yet another app that, you know, black people have gravitated to, but we're not seeing as many people benefit from the platform as others. And someone made a really great point. <laughs> um, rather than just trying to jump on an app, you know, and hype that hype that app up or give that app all of your attention and time, if you're benefiting the creators of the app, you know, just focus on creating our own. And so one of the things that African Americans especially are challenged with is this notion of creating our own so that we can begin to move um, move on in society uh, and not just necessarily gravitate to everything that's being created. Oftentimes, we're simply seen as the consumers of products as opposed to the producers and the makers of products. So we want to make sure that we are doing what we can um, on the production side to move ourselves along as a people and as a society. Um, race after technology, where we are in the book, this deals with the other side of the technology issue, which is AI or artificial intelligence, and how that artificial intelligence um, blocks us, how that artificial intelligence almost becomes a, a racism on autopilot. And so um, the writer here, Uh, where we are in the text, the writer is talking about this social capital or this social system of credit that has been established in China and how we're going to start seeing some of that 
start to be established here in the United States. It isn't quite here yet, but it is coming. And the last time that we stepped into reading, we learned that Facebook has already created some technology that is very similar to what is happening in China, which is the social capital. Now they claim that they're not using it yet, or they don't plan to use the technology, they just wanted to patent it. And we know how that goes, right? <laughs> it never starts off as something they plan to use, but oftentimes it becomes what is used and weaponized against us. So we're getting back into reading. I am on page uh, 72 for those of you who are reading along with me and following along. So we're going to finish up this chapter and then um, I'm going to open it up. So if you would like to share, if you would like to comment on the reading tonight on to, on technology, on AI and how it, is, it affects African Americans in particular, that's going to be our conversation on tonight. What sets China apart for now is that all of these trapped behaviors using their social capital, using their AI, is already being rated and folded into what is called a citizen score that opens or shuts doors depending on one's ranking. People are given low marks for political misdeeds, such as spreading rumors about government officials, for financial misdeeds, such as failing to pay a court fine, or social misdeeds, such as spending too much time playing video games. A low score brings on a number of penalties and restrictions, barring people from opportunities such as a job or a mortgage and prohibiting certain purchases, for example, plane tickets or train passes. The chief executive of one of the companies that pioneered their scoring system says that it will ensure the bad people in society don't have a place to go, while good people can move freely and without obstruction. It almost uh, sounds very much like the slave papers um, here in America that, you know, African-Americans have already been through sort of this restricting of movement process. And here they are recreating it again in China through their AI technology. Indeed, it is not only the desire to move freely, but all the additional privileges that come with a higher score that make it so alluring. Faster service, VIP access, no deposits on rentals or hotels, not to mention the admiration of both your friends and your colleagues. Like so many other technological lures, systems that seem to objectively rank people on the basis of merit and things we like, such as trustworthiness, invoke efficiency and progress as the lingua franca of innovation. China's policy states, quote, it will forge a public opinion environment where keeping trust is glorious. It will strengthen sincerity in government affairs, commercial sincerity, social sincerity, and the construction of judicial credibility. In fact, higher scores have become a new status symbol, even as low scorers are a digital underclass who may, we are told, have an opportunity to climb their way out of the algorithmic gutter. Can you imagine? We already have people classified and stratified now here in the United States. Can you imagine 
a digital underclass coming? Even the quality of people in one's network can affect your score. A bizarre scenario that has found its way onto TV shows like Black Mirror and Community, where even the most fleeting interpersonal interactions produce individual star ratings, thumbs up and down, giving rise to digital elites and digital subordinates. As Zeynep Kiseki explains, the ubiquitous excitement to like content on Facebook is designed to accommodate the desires of marketers and works against the interests of protesters who want to express dissent by disliking particular content. And no matter how arbitrary or silly the credit seems, precisely because people and the state invest in it with import, the system carries serious uh, consequences for one's quality of life until finally the pursuit of status spins out of control. Now again, this social capital system is already happening in China. It is not here yet, but we need to start thinking about the implications of it. The phenomenon of measuring individuals not only by their behavior, but by their network, takes the concept of social capital to a whole new level. In her work on marketplace leaders, sociologist Tamara Knocker considers how these companies help produce and rely on what she calls digital character, a profile assessed to make inferences regarding character in terms of credibility, reliability, industriousness, responsibility, morality, and relationship choices. Automated social credit systems make a broader principle of merit-based systems very clear. Scores assess a person's ability to conform to established definitions of good behavior and valued sociality rather than measuring any intrinsic quality. More importantly, the ideological commitments of dominant groups typically determine what gets awarded credit in the first place, automating social reproduction. This implicates not only race and ethnicity, depending on the fault lines of a given society, merit systems also codify caste and class and sex and gender and religion and disability oppression, among other factors. The point is that multiple axes of domination typically converge in a single code. Take the credit associated with the categories of playing video games and buying diapers. There are many ways to parse these values in distinction between who is idle and who is responsible, so that it lowers the scores of people who play games and increases the scores of people who change diapers. There is an ableist logic here which labels people who spend a lot of time at home as unproductive, doesn't take into account that you might have a disability, or whether they play video games or deal with a chronic illness. The conflation of economic productivity and upright citizenship is ubiquitous across many societies. Consider too how gender norms will be encoded in the value according to who buys diapers, together with the presumption that parenthood varnishes and by extension, childlessness tarnishes one's character. So are you saying 
hey, if you're a parent, you have more worth and more value than someone who does not. But one may wonder about the consequences of purchasing too many diapers under this kind of system. Does reproductive excess, having too many children, lower one's credit? Do assumptions about sex and morality, often fashioned by racist or classist views, shape the interpretation of having children? In the United States, for instance, one could imagine the eugenic sensibility that stigmatizes black women's fertility while celebrating white women's fertility. And imagine that getting coded through a system that awards points for diapers purchased in zip codes per se that are more suburban and deducts points for the same item purchased in a not yet gentrified part of the city or in a part of the city that might be considered African-American field. The geography of social worth serving as a proxy for gendered racism and the new young code. In these scenarios, top-down reproductive policies could actually give way to a social credit system in which the consequences of low scores are so far-reaching that they could serve as a veritable digital birth control. In a particularly poignant exchange toward the end of the nosedive episode, Lacey is hitchhiking her way to win the approval of an elite group of acquaintances, and motorists repeatedly pass her by on account of her low status. Even though she knows the reason for being disregarded, when a truck driver of even lower rank kindly offers to give her a ride, Lacey looks down her nose at the woman, nose dive indeed. She soon learns that the driver has purposefully opted out of this coercive social point system. And as they make small talk, the trucker says that people assume that with such a low rank, she must be an antisocial person. She reassures the woman by saying, you seem normal. Finally, the trucker wonders about this woman's fate. He says, I mean, you're a 2.8, but you don't look 2.8. This moment illuminates how the abstract quantification of people's lives based on a number gets embodied. That the difference between a 2.8 and a 4.0 kind of person should be self-evident and readable on the surface. This is a key feature of racialization. We begin to take arbitrary qualities, say something like the social score or your skin color, and imbue them with cultural importance and then act as if they reflect the natural qualities in people that should be obvious just by looking at someone. This is how we get to scenarios where the blacker a person is, the more demonized or more evil they are portrayed. In this way, speculative fiction offers us a canvas for thinking about the racial vision that we take for granted in our day-to-day lives. The white protagonist in this case is barred from housing, transportation, and relationships, a fictional experience that mirrors the forms of ethno-racial exclusions that many groups have actually experienced. And like Lacey's low status, just like that of her real-life counterpart, 
it's attributed to some intrinsic quality of her person rather than to the coded inequity that structures the social universe. The app in this story builds upon an already existing racial arithmetic, expands the terms of exclusion to those whose whiteness once sheltered them from harm. This is the subtext of so much science fiction. The anxiety that if we keep going down this ruinous road, then we might be next. It takes it one step further because all of the exclusions that you have applied to other people, what happens when you become that minority? Ultimately, the danger of the new Jim Code positioning is that existing social biases are reinforced. But the new methods of social control are produced as well. Does this mean that every form of technological prediction has racist effects? Not necessarily. It means that whenever we hear the promises of technological advance being extolled, our antenna should go up to question with all that hype of better and faster and fairer might be hiding and making us ignore. And when bias and inequity come to light, lack of intention to harm is not a viable alibi. One cannot reap the reward when things go right, but downplay responsibility when they go wrong. So where is our society headed if you're going to be judging everything based on a score, a number, or an algorithm? How is that going to affect Black America in particular, but how is that also going to affect America in society in general? So uh, next week, we'll be talking about chapter two, which is default discrimination. I don't know if you all saw the article that is also on this page that I put out, um, I believe yesterday or the day before, that showed that American Airlines charged a couple, both of them were charged separately um, on their their bill, a fee for being African-American. Now, people have talked about this historically as the black tax. The feeling that African-Americans get that we are charged extra for almost anything and everything in society. Well, this ticket sort of proves that there is some sort of extra cost. <laughs> um, and I can imagine that both of them were absolutely outraged. Everybody, ironically, began to point the finger at someone else. So when it was addressed, I think the airline company pointed to the credit card company and said, well, it must have been the credit card company. I think the credit card company pointed to the kiosk and said, well, they they got their tickets from this particular kiosk, so it must have been a glitch in the kiosk. But how does the kiosk write in African-American cost? So... What if they had not checked their tickets? What if they had not looked at all of the extra small hidden costs in their tickets? And then my question is, how many other people have been charged the African-American added tax to their airline ticket? Um, 
but that's just one example of literally being charged extra because they are African American. They claim that this was not found on any other ticket, but yeah, everyone is blaming everyone else. None of these companies are taking personal responsibility for them being charged with extra money. All right, I am done reading for tonight. So if you would like to talk back, if you would like to share your thoughts and share your insights on AI, artificial intelligence, on how algorithms are affecting us as African Americans. If you have had an experience that you want to share, um, you can type in in the bottom, in the comment section, I'm in. And if you have a camera, I will be happy to bring you on so that we can dialogue and talk for a little bit tonight. All right. We do have our first person, uh, Benjamin Lockett. I'm going to bring you on in just a moment. To our um, anchor viewers, we want to thank you for tuning in tonight. Please check back with us on tomorrow. We'll be back with our Relationship Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for your time and attention. And as always, if you would like to tune in live, you can join our Facebook page, Daring Dialogues, and our Facebook page, Black Table Talk. Until next time, see you soon.